Okay. Continuing on our, with our, uh, as we work through Galatians, we're up to Galatians chapter 4, uh, verses 12 to 31. No, no, I can't. If I put it up too close, I can't see it. I can only see it down there. <laughs> Arms are no longer long enough. So, so Galatians 4, 12 to 31. I beg of you, brethren, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have done me no wrong. But you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my body, bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ himself. When then is that, sorry, where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that if possible you would have plucked out one of your eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy by telling you the truth? They eagerly seek you. Not commendably, but they wish to shut you out in order that you may seek them. But it's good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner. And not only when I am with, present with you, my children, with whom I am again in labour until Christ is formed in you. But I, would, I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son of the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking for these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are also slaves, she is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice the barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labour, for more are the children of the desolate than the one who has a husband. Hmm? For more are the children of the desolate than of the one who desolate has a husband. Okay. Oh. Desolate woman. Yeah. Desolate woman. Yeah. And, and you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of the promise. But as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So it is now also. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be the heir, the heir with the women, with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. Look. So, the context of Galatians is Paul is talking a lot about some um, grace and how grace is the way forward, not um, following the heretics of the time in Galatia who are on about becoming Jews and obeying all the law. And as I was studying this passage, the first time I read something which actually helped me understand what's this big deal about the law. The law is all about action and reaction. Some of the versions it uses elemental force. In our world, 
If you do something, you get a response. Grace is not about that. The response we get is not a result of our actions. It's not what we deserve. The law is all about, if I do this, then I'll stay in God's good grace. If I don't do this, I'll be in trouble. That's, that's the law. And quite often as Christians, that's what we want to go to. After we've been a Christian for a while, we think, oh, I'm actually pretty good. Why are they getting the free pass and I'm suffering? Why do bad things happen to me? I'm pretty good. We're after that sort of response. That's our reaction to things. Our response has to be, well, maybe I'm not all that good. If I, if I think about it honestly, I'm probably not all that good. It's probably a really good thing I'm not getting what I deserve. The fact that in my eyes they might deserve it more doesn't remove the fact that I still deserve God's wrath as well. Even if by society standards I'm a nicer person and I've done more. Now, God, Paul starts off this section by saying, become as I am. He's talking about become as he is in the faith. Not He's not trying to point to himself as follow me, become clones of myself, and that's how you'll please God. He's saying, become as I am in your faith and rely totally on grace, not who you are. And he recognises that the tone of this letter is quite sharp on them. He's actually putting them down saying, you're doing it wrong. What have you done? He just wants to make the point, they haven't done anything to upset him. He's not writing because he's upset. He's actually writing the truth to them because he loves them. Will the truth kill a relationship? If someone tells you something you don't want to hear, points out a sin in your life, what's your reaction to that? Self-defense. Nearly always, it's self-defense. Years ago, that's what I would do. People would say, oh, John, you're like this. And I, say, I would immediately jump to the defense. And I noticed that that stopped me growing because I wasn't willing to hear. I was too busy fighting so that in the end, people wouldn't say anything to me. So I adopted over the years the strategy that if someone wants to say something to me, I'll just, I'll just listen. I won't say anything in reply. I'll go away and think about it so I get a response, not a reaction. My reaction is self-defense. My response is, oh, actually, yeah, maybe I'm a little bit like that. Maybe not as bad as I said, but, you know and try and appreciate the fact that they had the courage to come and tell me something I didn't want to know. Because we only grow by changing. We grow big better by people pointing out things we can't know. When I first started preaching, I used to preach with my eyes shut. Because in the church, people are really polite, they don't move. When I close my eyes, not only can I see all the people who are sitting there, I can see my notes. But I didn't know I was closing my eyes until someone came and told me. Because my brain was saying, oh, no, I know, I can see all, they haven't moved. Until someone told me that, I would not have known. And um, it was a hard, it was a, an interesting habit to break. In the end, I had to get people in the church to sit there with stuffed toys and throw them at me every time I closed my eyes. Because I, cause I, could, I really couldn't tell that my eyes were closed because I could see people. That did keep them awake. It did keep them awake and provided a last, last amount of amusements. Um, <laughs> In fact, I think some of them were hoping I'd close my, my, my eyes. Um, but for me, the, the key points of verses 12 to 20 are all about the sort of leader you might want. We talk a lot about discipleship here, you know, find someone who can disciple you or mentor you. What sort of person should we be looking for when we're looking for a Christian mentor? Well, if we look at what Galatians saw in Paul, it shouldn't be how they look in the world. It shouldn't be whether they're a great sportsman, super handsome, super attractive, 
super successful. It's really all about how faithful have they been, as far as you know, to the law, to the gospel. How much do they believe what's in the gospel that you know? Yes, you might choose someone, um, someone's getting some advice from me because they've recognised a particular area in their life where I'm pretty good at that and they're not so good and so we're trying to work through that. But I'm hoping that part of the reason they come is because they recognise that I've bumbled my way through 50 years of faith and I'm still here. And that's something that we can hope for. It's not... I mean, I don't really know that it's up to me. I think God's hung on to me a lot of times and helped me make decisions that kept me on the right path and stopped me doing some things which are inappropriate. Um, but So we need to be looking for loyalty. So when you're thinking about a mentor, look for someone who's faithful, as far as you can tell. Ask them their story. How long have they been doing this? What are their key? Don't worry about whether they're rich or poor. Are they faithful? And... Don't and don't be trade with. Don't choose someone just because they agree with your current theological whims. That's what the Galatians were doing. They they suddenly decided the law was the way, so they were following someone who said, "Oh no, yeah, that's right, the law." Don't go to someone who's going to tell you what you want to hear. Go to someone who will be willing to share with you the things you don't want to hear. Maybe there's nothing you don't want to hear. That seems unlikely, but you know. But, and if, you're, if someone asks you to be their mentor and pastor, there's a couple of things you need to think about before you say yes. Are you willing to serve this person? Are you willing to risk your friendship or your relationship by telling them the truth? I used to pray with my, my best mate every week uh, when I was in my late 20s. And why, he got married and I was still single. But the way he was treating his wife didn't seem quite right, so I had to say something. I really... I pondered for a couple of weeks whether I would dare say it because he might he might really not want to know that he was being dismissive of his new wife because he was still in the single mindset I mean I know when I got married I so often would go to the church and I'd get my coffee and my wife would look at me and I'd just forgotten to get her a coffee because I'm so used to being single the look was enough to convince me but my if we're being a mentor if we're being, or if we're walking the road closely with someone are we willing to tell them the truth and are they willing to hear it? Are we willing to love them for who they are? And are we going to encourage in them zeal for good things, not, not zeal for the things that we're perhaps keen on? And are we going to build Christ in them? Are we trying to build Christ rather than build clones? When I disciple someone, am I trying to make a little mini-me? Someone who does and says the things that I do, because it makes me feel good. Years ago, I got involved with a cult called Sydney City Church of Christ. Really active, and they were, they were attracting a lot of young Christians because they were they were alive. They said, "We're going to raise some money." They raised half a million dollars to send to their main church in in Boston, and they did it by all the young young people took on second jobs and devoted all the money from their second job to this offering. They had Bible studies. They would go out and. They start at one end of the train on Pinker and they walk through inviting people to Bible studies. I'm not recommending we start doing that. Um, but they would do things like that. They would affront people in shopping centres and invite them. And they had this great system. If they knew you came from a church, they had a Bible study track just for you. And they had an approach just for you. If they knew you had no church background, they had another track that you would go down. And the reason they had these tracks 
is because they knew they'd gone to the trouble of working out the responses of people. And they had, had responses ready. So I got onto the, the church background track. Incidentally, they didn't believe that anyone who, was, who wasn't baptised by them was saved. So we will, would all classify as non-Christians, but a certain type of non-Christian. When I disagreed with the Bible study uh, leader a few times, then they would invite another church person, gradually go up the chain. They were, they were systematically applying light brainwashing techniques to people to get them to say, yes, I'll follow you. That's not the way we want to go. In the end, that group disbanded because the guys at the start realised that they were producing clones, not 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 sheep, not not followers of Christ who were unique the way God made them. And they actually, it was a Myers Briggs test that could finally convince them. No amount of theological argument. So I think in their in their heart they were trying to do the right thing, but they slipped into trying to fulfil the promise through their own means. And I've seen similar similar techniques used in Australia, not necessarily deliberately, just worked. More people come forward if you do a certain thing. You can make gospel appeals that are just as effective as Tupperware appeals or any of these other things. There's a certain pattern and people apply it because it works. The question for me is always, are they doing this deliberately knowing that it's uh, an unfair tactic or is it just something they've gradually found work and so they keep doing it? When we used to do um, January camp, there used to be a camp at April as well. I went once or twice and I had to speak to the leader because what they were doing was indirectly applying the brainwashing. They were keeping kids up really late after a week of not sleeping, keeping up really late on the last night, pumping the worship and pumping the music and then pumping an appeal. This is a pattern. And it's a pattern which gets a, a positive response, whether it's Tupperware or the cross. I don't know whether they're doing it deliberately or not. I just said, I can't do this. If you're going to keep doing that, I'm, going to, I'm out of here. I really want people who want to believe and I want it to be their real response, not a reaction, not an influence. Anyway, that will start off with... So if you're going to be a mentor, be open to that too. Don't think, I'm not successful. What have I got to offer? You have faith to offer. You have the, they have the journey you've walked. You have your trials and tribulations. You have your struggles. Because you're not the only one who has them. Other people have them. They want to know those details. You'll have your embarrassments, the things that you did that well, you're ashamed of that God rescued you from. They're the things that we sometimes have to share and be willing to because we remember that we're saved by grace. Not because of how good we are. Not because of how good we've become. We're going to see after the sermon, we're going to do another round of um, nothing but the blood because that's the central truth for what we have. The second part of this passage, 21 to 31, talks about the bond woman and the slave, no, the bond woman and free woman. And he asks the question, those of you who want to be under the law, do you listen to the law? And that, that, that struck me because quite often I sit there and think, actually, how easy would it be if you're a Jew around the time of leaving Egypt, you've got this pillar of fire in the day, Manna, right? Your food rains down in the morning, and you go out and you collect it. And at night, you've got and at night you've got the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. How hard would it be to deny God? And how how much easier would it be 
if I did the things I think God wants me to do and I got some reward and I got some positive feedback saying, yeah, John, that's exactly what you should have been doing. I'm really happy with you. Or when I started to drift off, you had the odd lightning strike close by to correct that behaviour. How awesome would that be? Of course, if you think about the Old Testament, you realise that with all that, with everything they saw, with, that, with the close relationship between their actions and what happened to them, they still couldn't remain faithful. And we are not any different. However much I'd like to believe I was, I'm not. But quite often, it's more of I'm thinking that it's because I've forgotten or conveniently forgotten the things I do wrong and conveniently remembered only the things where I think I'm doing it okay. And I say, well, God, you know, just judge me on these. And I'd really like you to judge Dale because he's been doing some bad things. Um, I don't want you to judge me, but he deserves it. Because I don't, except I do. We all do. We all deserve God's wrath. But the blood of Jesus freed us from that. So what do we do with the law? Like the Bible's full of this. Do we totally disregard, as Christians, do we totally disregard the law? I'd suggest we don't. But we're no longer bound to it like it's a rod over our back that we have to do it. It's more of a guideline for our lives. So, for example, the, the Old Testament says people should tithe a tenth of their income. That was just to support the, the temple, that tithe, support the priesthood. It wasn't all they were supposed to give. They all gave a lot more than that. There were a lot of other offerings that they could make. But their, their bottom line giving was a tenth of their income. Now that Nowadays, I would say that's our guide. If you can't or don't give ten, a tenth of your income, no one, you're not any better or worse Christian for that. But it's a guide, and by guide I mean I've attended a lot of um, wealth seminars over the 60 years I've been around, and they all say you should give some of your money away, which is bizarre when it's a seminar about making money. And their argument is, usually, you don't want to become attached to your money. Because if you become attached to it, it rules you. And if you want to make money, you can't afford for it to rule you. You have to be willing to risk it. You have to be willing to part with it. So it's a guide. They, they, they just they don't care who you give it to. Just give it away to something. And the ones that pretend to be Christians because they're American would say, oh, you know, give it to a charity something. Whatever. Um, so the Old Testament is full of rules that we need to look at. Meeting together. Praying together. Reading the word together or individually they're not rules the fact that some of us have rules for ourselves which guide us and we keep religiously is because it helps us but the rules that I apply to my life aren't rules that I can judge other people by for me it's a rule that we come on Sundays as almost as far as we almost all the time there's almost no excuse that makes for my family that we don't come because to me, it's important because God said to me, you need other people. Last thing on my list is other people. I'd like to not bother. There's gardening, there's computers, there's all this other stuff I could do. I could even do a bit of Bible reading. But God says, no, John, you need other people. Your personality says you really need other people. But that's not a rule I can judge other people by. Maybe they don't need, maybe they need something else more, more than that. So it's a guide. 
So when people get up here and share their life for you, don't think we're saying imposing that on you. I mean, I know Richard gets up and the first thing he does early in the morning is his Bible study and his prayer. That's the ritual he's got because it helps him. Not because it's something we all have to do. He would say, it's a helpful discipline, I think it'll help you. But he can't say, and he shouldn't say, if you don't do that, you're not a very good Christian. Because it doesn't make us a better or worse Christian. We are only Christians because of grace. I don't think there's any better or worse Christian. There's more faithful and less faithful. But again, faith is given to us, again, by the Holy Spirit. Our measure of faith is given to us. So we try not to judge by the conformance to rules or customs. I think we do pretty well with that here. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I'm just one of those people who doesn't notice what other people think of me. So I'm not sure if you're all judging me about whether or not I conform to your rule set. Um, but certainly you could judge me against the Bible. And when we talk to people, that's, that has to be our yardstick. Is that something that Jesus would want us to do? And I think the only thing Jesus says we must do is believe in him and hold on to him. Not like the Sydney City Church of Christ that said, you've got to be baptised by us or you're not Christian. Um, I don't think, I think baptism is helpful. I think it's useful. I don't think it's a requirement for being saved. I know there are people in the Baptist Church who would disagree with that. Um, and we'll have some fun when we start looking for uh, finance for building because people who haven't been baptised by the Baptist Church can't vote. Woo! But that's life. So try to encourage one another in, in our walks. Try to be available. When we look for a pastor, we'll be looking for someone whose focus is on God's word and who's looking to serve. We won't be looking for someone who's made a million dollars before he became a pastor, although that would be nice. We won't be looking for someone who the world looks at and say, that's a successful person. We're looking for... They may be that. They may be all those things. But if they don't love Jesus and they don't love the Word, my vote will be we don't take them. Because the Word and Jesus are other things we need to keep our focus on. And that is me. Can we just get that nothing but the blood to finish off?